You're listening to Westminster on the Fly, a podcast from the Appalachian Roundtable with your host, Pastor Andy Steyer. Hello, welcome to Westminster on the Fly. I am your host, Pastor Andy Steyer. I'm the pastor at Canal St. Lean's Presbyterian Church in Malden, West Virginia. We are a small uh, PCA church, Presbyterian Church in America, uh, congregation just a few miles east of the capital city of Charleston. And uh, this is the podcast which works its way through the Westminster Shorter Catechisms. This morning, it's morning when I'm recording this, don't know what time you'll listen to it, but uh, this episode, rather, we'll be looking at Westminster Shorter Catechism question and answer number 12. Last time we started to discuss what God's works of providence are, that God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, powerful, preserving, and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. Today is sort of a transition uh, question, because really we are, uh, with this question and answer, number 12, we're really going to start getting into one of the most important distinctions of Reformed theology, which is the idea of the covenant. We're going to begin to lay the foundation for what is known as covenant theology, historic, Reformed, covenant theology. Um, so, uh, we're going to look at this question this week, but I encourage you to pay attention to, to what this question and answer is saying, question and answer number 12, because it, 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 it is extremely important uh, as we move throughout the coming episodes and we begin to talk about uh, the, covenant, the covenant of grace, the need for man to have a mediator, all of these things. Uh, they're all going to f- flow from... Uh, This question and answer. Question number 12 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What special act of providence did God exercise towards man in the estate wherein he was created? Uh, The answer is when God had created man, he entered into a covenant of life with him upon the condition of perfect obedience, forbidding him to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil upon the pain of death. That's, of course, Genesis 2, chapter chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, Adam, saying, "You you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So what special act of providence did God show, did God exercise towards man in the estate, meaning in the condition in which man was created? The answer is uh, God entered into a covenant of life. Or uh, it's interesting, the Shorter Catechism calls it the covenant of life. The Confession of Faith calls it the covenant of works. We'll talk about that here in a moment. Uh, God entered into a covenant of life with him. Uh, and what are the conditions of that covenant? That that Adam would be forbidden, Adam and his, uh, his bloodline, his family, including Eve, would be for, forbidden to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What is the consequence for the broken covenant? Uh, death, bodily and spiritually. 
so as I said, this week's episode is going to really prepare you for what is coming in the next several episodes as we move uh, into this very critical portion of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Reformed theology is one of the most essential uh, doctrines, or I'm sorry, not Reformed theology, covenant theology is one of the most essential doctrines of Reformed theology. This has been one of my critiques of what we might call the Young Restless Reform Movement, is that the the YRR, the Young Restless Reform Movement, basically focused in on what we might call the doctrines of grace. Some people call it the five points of Calvinism, TULIP, uh, if you're familiar with that acronym. And all of a sudden, you have a bunch of people who sort of believe in the depravity of man and kind of believe in election, and they're just going around calling everything and everyone and every church reformed if they preach any sort of doctrine of predestination. Being reformed is so much more than that. Um, hopefully you're seeing already, just within the first you know, 12 questions of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, how rich and thorough uh, the confessions of the reformed tradition are. Um, being a Calvinist, so to speak, although I even hesitate to use the word Calvinist in speaking of people who happen to believe in predestination because Calvin's theology was much richer than simply the doctrines of grace. Um, believing in predestination or election uh, is, is not the defining feature of historic confessional reform theology. The Reformed Confessions put forth an entire doctrine of Scripture, of God, of man, of covenants, of salvation, of ecclesiology, that is, of the church and how the church should be governed. Uh, they put forth a rich theology of sacramentalism, uh, or I'm sorry, of the sacraments. Uh, they put forth a, a rich theology of, of worship. And it all combines into this one, I think, biblical and beautiful tradition that we, we call Reformed. And as I said, one of the major cornerstones of Reformed theology is covenant theology, how God has related to and dealt with his people from the foundations of the earth. Uh, and so again, this question and answer is going to lay a foundation for the coming weeks. Um, this is the one point, uh, well, well, here in, in this week's question, uh, we find ourselves looking at a unique point in redemptive history. It's unique because this is the one point in the history of creation where mankind at least has the possibility of eternal life based upon his perfect obedience to the law of God. Uh, as I said the Shorter Catechism calls this covenant the covenant of life. Uh, the Confession of Faith calls it the covenant of works. Um, and sometimes people will get hung up on that. Is it the covenant of creation? Is it the covenant of life? Is it the covenant of works? Here's the point that I want us to keep in mind. First, we have to remember that whatever we call this covenant, eternal life in the Garden of Eden was just as much an act of God's love towards his people as it is now. God 
never owed Adam and Eve the blessing of eternal life. It is conditional. It is the promise of eternal life was conditional upon Adam's obedience, but Adam's obedience is not meritorious. I hope you see the, 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 uh, the difference there. Adam's obedience was the condition of the covenant. Adam's obedience did not merit eternal life. There is a difference. Anybody who watched John Gerstner's lectures, uh, which are great, and I think you can find most of them on YouTube, uh, John Gerstner was such a war horse. Um, if you don't know who he is, he was one of R.C. Sproul's mentors, uh, just a, a really funny but solid guy. And I remember him talking about the difference between uh, works that are meritorious and works that are necessary. Uh, and you can look that episode up, but he would just stand in front of his chalkboard and uh, he would just go off on this rant of, I don't understand why people don't see the difference between works which are necessary and works that are meritorious. And, you know, uh, you have to you have to watch it. Uh, there's... <laughs> You have to know who John Gerstner is to find that amusing. But Adam's works were necessary. They were His obedience was the condition upon which eternal life would come, not only to him, not only to Eve, but to the entire human race. However, Adam's works could not merit, they could not earn eternal life. Mankind, the finite creature, can never put the infinite creator in a position where the creator owes us something. It is impossible. And so this covenant of life, this covenant of works, eternal life in paradise, eternal life in Eden, uh, eternal life in God's good creation, it was an act of God's love towards his people. Just as much before the fall as it is now. God never owed Adam and Eve the blessing of eternal life. However, in an act of love towards his image bearers, objects who were his act of special creation, God willingly entered in providentially into this covenant of life or covenant of works, promising Adam the blessing of eternal life if he remained obedient to his words. To his word, rather. There are a few things, I think, and, and this will probably be a short episode, and that's okay. Some of them are going to be longer. Some of them are going to be shorter. I never put a time restraint on these things, but there are a few things that I think are worth noting about this covenant. Things that I think will prepare you for the, the next several questions uh, in the catechism that we're going to look at. Uh, first, uh, the first thing I want us to see is that this covenant is indeed an act of providence. I think the Westminster Larger Catechism does a really good job um, at explaining and expanding upon this idea. Uh, question 20 of the Larger Catechism uh, says, The providence of God toward man in the estate in which he was created, uh, was the placing him in paradise, appointing him to dress it, giving him liberty to eat of the fruit of the earth, 
putting the creatures under his dominion and ordaining marriage for his help, affording him communion with himself, instituting the Sabbath, entering into a covenant of life with him upon the condition of personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience, of which the tree of life was a pledge, and forbidding to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil upon the pain of death. Now, there's a lot in that statement, and we could pick it apart a little bit, but what I want us to see is that the, this covenant falls under last week's catechism, under God's works of providence. This covenant is part of God's most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing of all his creatures and all their actions. Now, let me go back. Let me just pick apart the larger catechism question. Because there's a lot of elements here to this uh, covenant of works that we don't always think about. Uh, God takes man in the estate in which he was created. Uh, the children's catechism, the first catechism, uh, says, I forget how it states it, something like that. Uh, it's something like, um, in what condition? Did God make Adam and Eve? That's the first catechism, the children's catechism question. And the answer is, he made them holy and happy. He made them holy and happy. So when, when, the, when the confession, the Westminster Standards talk about man in the state, the uh, man in the estate in which he was created, a simple way to remember that is, what is the estate in which he was created? Well, he made them holy and happy. It's so simple, but this is why I love the first catechism, the children's catechism. And, and parents, if you're listening to this, I really encourage you to start teaching your children, your young children, as early as age two or three or even younger if you can. Uh, although, you know, it might be hard if they can't talk yet. But they can certainly, <laughs> they can certainly start learning those first few questions. I love how simple it is. God made man holy and happy. So God, the, the providence of God towards man in the estate in which he was created, in that estate of being holy and happy, was that he placed him in paradise. He placed them within a garden, uh, within a land called Eden, within a geographical location of the broader created world. And uh, he appointed man to dress the garden. Now, that's an interesting phrase, and honestly, I'd have to look into what that means. But if I had to guess, it would probably uh, deal with some of his, uh, the, the, some of the work that God gave man to do, naming the animals, tending the garden, uh, maybe possibly even uh, populating the garden and then the land of Eden and then the entire world. Uh, it's hard to say. I'd have to look into that a little more. Uh, uh, he gave man liberty, liberty to eat of any tree except for one, liberty to eat of the fruit of the earth. He put the animals under his dominion. This shows that mankind is placed in this world to be a steward of God's good, good creation, to rule well, knowing that we are caring for and tending to God's good creation. 
God ordained marriage for the help of man. Uh, God afforded to mankind communion with himself. Uh, Sometimes we talk about this as God's condescension, and it is condescension for God, the infinite creator, to come and enjoy fellowship and allow man, finite man, to enjoy fellowship with him. Uh, He instituted the Sabbath. Notice this is very important, the Sabbath and marriage and work. These are what we call creation ordinances. They weren't simply part of the law. Uh, We'll talk about this when we get into the portions of the Sabbath. This is one reason why I do not believe what some of our Baptist brothers and sisters believe about uh, basically the, the Sabbath going away in the New Covenant. I think the Sabbath was transformed in the New Covenant, Uh, But it is a creation ordinance. It was given before the fall. And uh, I have to believe that the Sabbath is, as a creation ordinance, um, given the fact that mankind before the fall was not uh, intended to die, I have to believe that ordinance is in some sense everlasting. Uh, He instituted the Sabbath for their benefit. He entered into this covenant of life with him upon the condition of personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. And then he gave him a sacrament, the tree of life. The tree of life is a sacrament of the covenant of works. The larger catechism says it it correctly. The tree of life was a pledge of this covenant. God put conditions on this covenant then, forbidding them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil upon the pains of death. Uh, So there's a lot included in this covenant of works. I don't think we always think about it. I think sometimes our simplistic minds just basically say, oh, the covenant of works was when God told Adam not to eat of the tree. Uh, And as long as he didn't do that, uh, he was upholding the covenant. There's a lot here, though, as the... uh, uh, this uh, the larger catechism shows us, and it's all part of God's work of providence towards man in the original estate in which we were created. Uh, there's another distinction of the covenant of life that I think is very important for us to understand, and that is the fact that there is no mediator between God and Adam. If the covenant is to be kept... Adam must be the one to keep it. If the covenant is broken, Adam is the one who must suffer the curse. And not only Adam, but we talk about there not being a mediator between God and Adam. In one sense, that's true. There's no mediator of the covenant of works, the covenant of life. And on the other hand, Adam is the mediator. He acts for himself, but as we're going to see in the upcoming catechism questions, he's not only acting for himself, he's also acting for all of his descendants. He's standing as the mediator. He's standing as the covenant representative, the one who represents the entire human race. But there's no mediator between God and Adam. Again, Adam must be the one to keep the covenant. If the covenant is broken, he and all who he represents are the the ones who suffer the curse. That distinction matters. 
and I want you to try to keep it in mind as we move forward in our study on the Shorter Catechism over the next several weeks, uh, because this distinction will play a major role in how we view and understand the fall of man, and how we view and understand sin, and how we view and understand the covenant of grace, and the mediator of the covenant of grace, Jesus Christ. So, as I said, this will be a short episode, kind of a transitionary question and answer, number 12. Uh, I hope it was beneficial for you, and as we move into the coming weeks, you may want to come back and listen to this episode. I believe it's episode number eight. Episode number eight. So we've definitely made it past the uh, infamous podcast fade that apparently happens between episodes five through seven. So uh, keep this episode, episode eight in mind as we move forward over the next several weeks. And I hope you will listen next week. It's all-